Welcome to another episode of Million Dollar Stories, where we get to interview authors from all over the world. As you guys know, I'm a major capitalist. I think capitalism is the way to freedom for the masses. And uh, we have an expert here. It seems like he has written, I think you said 23 books. So uh, a very versatile individual. Um, he wrote a book. He's a part of it. It's called Conscious Capitalism Field Guide. And uh, it's an honor to have you here, Thomas Eckschmidt. Thank you so much for having me here, Mike. It's a great pleasure to have the opportunity to share some of this, those ideas and those thoughts. And as an entrepreneur myself, I think a lot of people will, you know, feel the, you know, the pain and understand all the framework we're going to share here. Yes. And so give us the genesis behind the book. I think this is related to another book that picked up steam pretty fast. And then it was a New York times bestseller. So you saw that success and you said, okay, how do we break it down and make it more simple for the masses? Yes. It sounds like. So what made you want to write this book? So ultimately what happened is that I discovered that I was an unconscious conscious capitalist. And I invite <laughs> a lot of people to think about this because mm -hmm. a lot of people are unconscious conscious capitalists and they don't know it yet. Please so explain, because I, I think I'm an unconscious capitalist, right? I think, or I, because whenever you say unconscious, in my opinion, it's just innate inside of you and you just don't know why. But maybe yes. I am a conscious capitalist because I can see opportunities everywhere. So I don't know, maybe I'm both. What is that, it? That's that's the point. So what, what happened is that I, you know, I was trying to sell one of my, uh, my services to a, a business in the US, Whole Foods, and I searched for John Mackey. John Mackey is there. The first thing I saw, I look, I find is uh, an article about what is conscious capitalism. So it says companies should have a purpose, a cause, why they do what they do. Mm. Say, I don't have a cause. I have a belief. I believe that the collective work will generate better, better results. People should have in, under their business a stakeholder map. Well, I have the value chain. Maybe that's the first version of what an ecosystem will look like. People should think about their culture, their business culture. We actually were focused more on our customer culture and helping them evolve and better the business. That's somehow where we failed in our side. And then on the leadership side, you should think like, like uh, Simon Sinek says, you should have a caring leadership. If you care for your people, their people will care for the business and for the results. So that's automatically, and I look at those four principles say, I do some of that. Maybe I'm an unconscious, conscious capitalist. So the more I went, I dove into those ideas, that those four principles, I discovered that I was doing it. And sometimes I failed on my decisions because I was not, I, I had no idea how to articulate the other part of the equation. And we just measured on, on financial metrics. Once we start looking into other metrics and say, oh my God, there's more powerful. And I, I can give you some examples where we failed dramatically because I think we learn a lot about on when when we fail. And when it happens, automatically we grow and it's everything is working. So sometimes we don't actually know why we're moving forward on a certain speed. But when we fail and we understand the failure, that will help us be stronger uh, further on. So, Have you ever played the video game Chips Challenge at all? Oh, no. I heard about that. <laughs> yeah. Years ago, there was this game called Chips Challenge. And basically, it's an individual running around a board, and you have to go into these weird areas to pick up keys. But oh. those keys, you go all the way in, you get the key, and now you have to walk all the way back to go another place. So 
I look at that game as sort of a video game version of entrepreneurship. And when you get to a dead end, people will say, wow, that was a failure. But no, technically, you might have experienced some type of strength that came out of you or you found this resource or a tool or a key to unlock a door down the road. And so when I look at failure and I look at maybe making a mistake, I look at is what did I learn from this? Because I don't know why or how, but I'm going to use this somewhere in the future, whatever I learned here. And that's how you have to look at entrepreneurship. You're going to make a lot of moves, go down a lot of pathways, and they're not the right pathways out of the gate. They're the necessary pathways to teach you what you need to learn to get to the next level in that video game, if you say, if you want to look at it that way. So is that how you have experienced the, the world of entrepreneurship, that a lot of mistakes were actually blessings yeah. in disguise? Well, I, I think this is the, the analogy you just brought up is so powerful. And actually, there's a book from Tony Shea, uh, uh-huh. Customer Satisfaction. Yes, he's the... Uh, the He's the, the, the shoe guy, Zappo. Uh, yes. He had an unfortunate yes. ending recently, yeah. but yes. Exactly. Yeah. But on, on the audiobook, there's a message from uh, Jeff Bezos about the merger or about the acquisition of, of Zappos by Amazon. He said, if I had one scar for every mistake I made, I would be covered in scars. And he remembered, and that was amazing for me because that actually helps us entrepreneurs to see you know, everybody makes mistakes, how we learn. Amazon had at the beginning, you could add, put a negative quantity and you get a credit on your credit card. <laughs> and the people at the warehouse would be waiting for that good to come back. Can you imagine that mistake? Luckily, they discovered that and fixed that because that was that could have happened. Ooh. So. And imagine that's a programming mistake and you, you could put a quantity in. What if we put a negative quantity? Oh my God, people were waiting and you could credit their, their credit card with their amount. I didn't even know that's that. That's crazy. <laughs> so that's on the audiobook from Tony's Tony Shea. So wow. the only way you can listen, that's that's the, the, the voice of Jeff Bezos sharing his one of his mistakes and of many, like he said. So mistakes are part of the development. If we don't make mistakes, the one we make, it's going to be so big, right? It will and crash so, us. So. And, and you also said the important phrase of you need to learn to serve, right? Capitalism to me is equal opportunity, but in order for you yes. to obtain any resource, you actually mm-hmm. have to make someone else's life better, whether it's through oh. product or a service. Now you touch the first key principle. That's the purpose, why your business exists. A lot of people think they see, they identify an economic opportunity to do something. But behind that opportunity lies the idea that you think you can do something better. Because if you do the same thing or if you do something worse, it's not going to fly. It's not going to stick. You're not going to gain market because you believe you can do it better. You make more money. Mm-hmm. You make the money, you grow, you expand, you establish yourself. Behind that idea of making something better lies the idea of a purpose. What's your cause? Why are you doing what you do? Because making something bigger is easy. You set the target and you get into debt. You do all kinds of things to reach that number. But being better, that's a metric from the other side of the table. Are your customers, your suppliers, your employees, your community are actually measuring if you're better or not? So that's an important message. 
everybody starts with the idea. And if they are successful, that idea sometimes fades out because you get so involved with a lot of bureaucracy. Ultimately, behind that, if we recover that idea, that, that emotional connection with your startup, that makes you stronger identifying your cause. So we, you just touched the most important part of if you're leading a business, you have a purpose. You just yes. have to recover it, bring it back to life. Because when you started and you're successful, you started because you thought you could do something better. Well, com competition is a part of capitalism, right? And so by looking around the marketplace and saying, you know what, they're doing it pretty pretty good, right? But I can do it a little bit better. It allows you to be more resourceful, right? Tony Robbins has that great quote. It's not a matter of resources. It's a matter of resourcefulness. So you might think from a different, you know, through a different lens and therefore you can maybe operate at a higher frequency, serve them at a higher level. Therefore, if it's a big company that gets comfortable, you as a smaller company can beat them with a competitive drive, a certain culture, right? And a certain philosophy that you could do it better, faster, cheaper, and therefore mm -hmm. this competitive advantage. If it's inside of you, it never it never dies, right? That competitive nature is a part of the game. And I think if you lean in on it, it serves you very well. So a lot of people look at capitalism in negative light simply because they don't have that competitive gene. And I think that's it. it tr I truly agree. And, you know, going back to what you said, you know, competition is part of the business. Competition makes you stronger, makes you better. And there's a conversation between John Mackey, the CEO and founder of Whole Foods, and Doug Rao, the former CEO of uh, Trader Joe's. One used to say to the other, Whole Foods makes us better. And Trader Joe's said, Whole Foods said it vice versa. So they understood they have different models, but each one made the other one better in terms of how they went to market. So if you don't have competition, you lose reference. It's very, it's easier to fail when you have no reference in the marketplace. Great point. And uh, I don't know if you're a wrestling fan at all, but it makes me think of WWF turning into WWE. They had no competition technically for about 15, 20 years. And they started to, you know, fall away from, the fans started to go away from them. And so, then AEW comes into play and you notice that WWE picks up their quality again, a little bit more uh, uh, proactive whenever it comes to storylines and entertainment value, meaning that if you have competition, it brings out the best in you. And it's because maybe we're all like we're all based off of gravity. And so if we don't have to fight as hard or if we don't have to keep pursuing it's natural for us to decline because there's a, there's a requirement when another person is behind us running, you know, if we are running a marathon, you run a little faster when somebody's behind you. Right. So that's just human nature. One-on-one. It is, it is. And see, I, I love it. This conversation is going straight into the essence or the nature of what capitalism is, right? Because we talk about purpose. You have clear that if you're trying to do something better, you have a cause, you have a purpose. Now, the second thing, if you're starting a business, you have to recognize the interdependence of the system because your first customer, your first client is the first one to trust you. Your employee, they have to trust you to join forces with you, to work with you towards a goal, your idea, your purpose. The suppliers will trust you. So your success depends on the success of your ecosystem beyond the value chain. If the 
community surrounding you doesn't want you there, you have a problem. Mm. If they want you there, they you're going to be welcome. Your brand is going to be welcome. Employees want to work for you. Customers want to buy your brand, want to be part of you. You create a community. And that leads us to the next level of, of uh, connection, which is the culture, a responsible culture. Can you imagine if your product, your brand, your company is so powerful that you create a tribe that people will tattoo themselves with the oh. brand to a point that your prospects would have your tattoo even before they have the product? Yep, that's true loyalty, but there's such energy. And I'm glad you bring up the uh, the example of a tattoo because there are many companies that have done that. In fact, I did it early on. If you got a tattoo of my phrase on your body, I would give you a discount on our prices. And people did it. And the reason why is if you have that much belief in your ability to serve people, people will see that enthusiasm and the story that you share with the world of the problem that you're solving and why you solve it. People buy in and now you have, yeah. like you said, you have that, the magic word is a tribe and a tribe is a group of people who believe in the same goal that you paint. Yeah. So think about a company that has that so powerful. I was in Milwaukee once and over the weekend they say, oh, there's going to be a rally here. Say, what do you mean? And people are just putting chairs on the, on the street, you know, on the sidewalk, they're, they're like little cooler and sitting there and say, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? 40,000 motorcycles came to Milwaukee. 40,000. 40,000 tattooed people. So, and then I went to visit the plant, Harley Davidson. I said, wow, all the employees were tattooed. I saw the suppliers coming in. Oh, those are employees? No, no, those are suppliers. They have ta Harley Davidson tattoo. You go to a store, the store manager, the store people, the salespeople, even the people coming in to buy the bike, they already Harley have Davidson. the tattoo, right? Isn't that a tribe? If you think about people, that's a tribe. They dress alike, they behave alike, they move alike, they they gather to, you know, everything. What's the power? A brand that went up and down in terms of quality challenges, but people follow them all the way. If you have the ability to have a great purpose, and if you think about Harley, what's their purpose? Freedom. Freedom. Don't you think about the guy driving that bike and that on that highway 69 and, and going every that's that represents freedom and it's a universal feeling, emotion. People want to feel that. So if you have a universal purpose and in a universal intention and your product goes there, people will follow you. People want to be part of that tribe. That's right. And so when you think of a Harley Davidson, you think of American ingenuity, right? It was back in, I think, World War One or World War II. Is, yes. World War One, I, I think, is whenever they got their, their start. But yeah. it's two guys in a garage, right? And so yeah. it's that capitalistic American dream, but also American-made. And then, like you said, the sense of freedom. There are gang members who will never touch another motorcycle. It has to be a Harley-Davidson. Now, think about the loyalty people have simply because it represents maybe a piece of their soul. Exactly. Wow. And you will never see somebody with a Nokia tattoo <laughs> because that was my first cell phone. It saved my life. Can you imagine that? <laughs> You're right. It, Isn't it's that not perfect? going to That's, work. No, no, forget it. It's It doesn't work. So here we are talking about capitalism, the power of the ingenuity, the, the, the opportunity for people to serve other with their own talents expressed through a business. And if we step back like a couple of hundred years, 
the only people in the world with social value for a community were those with the last name. Think about this, because they have a talent that served their community. Shoemaker, Smith, Baker. Those were the first last names because that that person had a social value to wow. offer. If you had nothing, let's say Thomas, who's Thomas? I don't know, that guy. You don't deserve a last name because you have you were no value for us. Is that how last names were made? Maybe, I don't know. Oh, okay. But that came uh, that would be amazing because only if you think about the nobles, the kings and the queens, they had like 20, 30 last names to prove where they came from. But regular people? Oh, maybe you had a last name that's Thomas from Milwaukee or Mike from uh, New York or, you know, where you came from. But other than that, what are the last names? Wow. Isn't that powerful? Maybe that comes because you have that talent and people recognize that talent on you and say, wow, Mike Smith, if I need some work, some, there, there you go. Well, it's the identity that's created as an entrepreneur. Yes. I mean, that's why everything that I put out there is bookman related, right? Million dollar yeah. bookman. He's the bookman, right? And so they don't need to really know my last name, but they just got to say, oh, if you need a book, you need anything with a book, go to him. And an identity is created based off of, are you ready for this? It's what you serve. It's what you are known to provide for others, right? And so Jim Rohn has that amazing quote, never bring the market your need because nobody cares about that. Bring the market your seed, right? What can you offer the world? And what's cool about this is that your identity is formed off of how you help others. Yeah, totally, totally. And goes back. That's the essence of capitalism. That's the essence, that's the purpose. And if you have that written down, and if you update that message through, over time, because the social and economic environment changes around you after 10, 20, 30 years, you keep evolving your intention. Think about Google. When they started, Google had no page. They created an app to uh, uh, enter in Yahoo, Alta Vista, AOL, but nobody wanted to buy that. And they say, you know, anal and, uh, printed information is organized in the library to those drawers and those little cards and IDs and where, in which shelf you pick the book. But the digital information was nowhere organized. And they say, you know what? We can organize that. So their purpose was to organize the digital information. And then nobody wanted to by their service, they say, well, we have to open the page. We have to create a page to offer that service that, that to the world. So organize the digital information of the world and make it universally accessible. Google page, search page. And that keeps going. So if you think about that purpose, and that's a fast-moving company, technology, so the purpose has to be adjusted, ad updated more frequently. Okay, so this is absolutely amazing because then they said, oh, books that are out of print, let's scan them. And the words we haven't been able to identify through our OCR, our systems, we're going to put on the recapture. Now, our eyes are indexing the words that the system had didn't couldn't index. So we are part of a bigger plan, a master plan to make that information universally available, accessible for, for everyone. So it's insane 
How powerful. If you have purpose clear on your business, you're not going to divert because purpose is an idea that should help you make decision. Is this decision advancing our intention, our purpose, or is it moving left or right or different route? And that will keep you on track to be even more successful because we have to go back and talk about how much money you're going to make if you're conscious about those principles, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, a leader, in my opinion, and maybe you can kind of clarify how this all flows, but a leader's job is to paint the vision, paint the promised land, and then uh, attract the tribe, right? And then give the individuals the resources to accomplish that vision, right? And then get out of their way. So a leader's not there to maybe, I don't know, I, I guess be a part of every battle, but to give the tribe its resources and belief and the vision of what the battle is, right? So once you have the vision, which we talked about before, the why, you have the tribe, what else do you need? So you also have, I think, uh, the the leadership, I guess, of individuals relying on the leader to be there when necessary. So tell me about part four. So this is, that's perfect leadership. And the vision is the most important part. A lot of companies have the vision to be the number one. That's not an inclusive vision. If I'm number one, you're going to be number two. I'm sorry. Number three or four, you pick another number. Number one, it's me. The vision has to be universal, has to be a place where I'm going to go with you. I'm going to follow you there. When you think about Google, organize information. Every day you have more information. That's a never-ending purpose. To make it universally accessible. I want to be at that place where everybody has equal opportunity to access information. It's not exclusive for one group or the other high, high expensive uh, investors and, and, you know, consultants. No, everybody should have access. This is a universal right. So they're taking us to a place where we all agree. No, no, information should be limited. I have most of the information you have to pay me. And they're saying, no, we need to take this to a next level. Humanity can go further. So vision has to be inclusive. From the purpose, once you know your cause, imagine if that cause is done, completed, how would the world look like? And that's the message we have to think. Because if that's the world I want to be part of, that's where I want to go. Uh -huh. Remember, there was a cartoon in the 70s. Maybe you don't remember that. The Jetsons, they oh, yeah. were all flying everywhere those little machines. And during pandemic, that was my vision for the future. <laughs> we had doctors over TV, FaceTime, working from home, all that creativity, that vision for the future happened during pandemic. Everybody started working from home, visiting the doctors through, you know, FaceTime, machines cleaning your house, those little robots moving around to clean the, the, the floor. So all that stuff started happening. You say, oh my God, that's a vision. And science fiction has the ability to create amazing visions and we make them happen because we insist on science fiction, but we forget about doing social fiction. How do we want people to live? What's the social status in the future that people say, I want to follow you because I want to live in a place where people are treated this way. People can live this way. So vision is a, such an important part of leadership. 
because that's one such an important principle. That's the caring leadership. You have to serve a purpose and you have to care for the people that will follow you towards that vision. You've, you've obviously analyzed some of the great leaders out there and uh, whether you like them or hate them, I mean, Jeff Bezos is a great leader. I mean, for him yeah. to actually manage what he built is just insane. So yeah. what makes a great leader in your opinion? My, my opinion is that your ability to communicate and articulate your solution very clearly is one. Number two, you have to be inspiring and motivating simply because you are maybe the example of a, something that they want in their own life, right? They, you have something that other people maybe uh, look up to and they respect. So those are two uh, aspects of it. And maybe a third aspect is that you have enough um, credibility and authority in the space that you are an expert. Therefore, individuals look at you as the go-to source for answers. And so these breadcrumbs need to be left behind. So those are the three that stand out to me. What would you say? Well, I can't agree more because it, ultimately, if you look, let's pick Jeff Bezos. He has a practice. And I think the example the leader brings is if you live your culture, your values, People will follow that. If the only thing you look at are numbers, people will just look at numbers. They don't care about the rest. So, but Jeff Bezos has something so interesting in terms of his values. And if you look, every you know, there's there's a you know a story that every meeting room has a red chair, and that's not the chair for Jeff. Every time you, people come to a meeting and make have a discussion, make a decision, they look at that red chair and they make a, they ask a simple question. Is this decision going to improve our customer experience? If it's yes, we go forward. If there's some slight doubt in that answer, we have to go back, reconvene, and make sure that that decision will make our customer better. Wow. That experience. So that's a practice that has been heard by from Amazon people for a very long time. And if you think about this, that if you think about Amazon, they want to get you the best customer experience. Because let's go to a supermarket. What's the worst part of a supermarket? Also, when you forget something that your wife asked you to buy and you say, oh my God, I forgot that stuff. Or you buy something that you're not supposed to buy. It's waiting in line to pay in to get out of the supermarket. What did he do? A store that you go in and get out and you have to wait in line. How do you, you don't going to go, everything you have, it's online. If you're going to brick and mortar stores, it has to be better than the, uh, what you have there. Otherwise you just don't go. Right. Right. Well, I that's mean, I why think, I'm thinking about whenever mm -hmm. I actually buy from Amazon, it's so uh, intuitive, number one, but number two, it's, it's so easy for me to just search buy yeah. move on and then it, what they've done is just it, it's completely shocking to me they'll say it it's going to be delivered in two days and then it'll arrive in one which is that over deliver uh yes. under promise philosophy yeah. so the customer experience is great on the front end but also the operation on the back end is yes. even smoother so yes they do the right stuff take what they're doing so, apply it to your business exactly and ultimately, we're talking about capitalism, how to create value. And one of the questions, one of the things we are now discussing more and more is the value creation, because we talked about the ecosystem, interdependence, is we need to create value to all stakeholders. 
But the value is not economic value. We can create emotional value, social value, environmental value, technology value, knowledge value. We have to we have the ability to create more value in multiple dimensions. And one of the things we talk about when when people say, "Well, how do I put this stuff on in, in action? How do I make conscious capitalism work in my company?" So think about two hundred years ago, people had enough time available, and some people had enough money. So I said, Mike. I give you some amount of money. Can you come in and give me some of your time? So today we call this, this is a salary in exchange for a work shift, right? A time you dedicated to me in compensation for money. But that was when we had a lot of people available. Now, companies start looking and say, I want talent. So I have a talent. So what do you offer? I have, we exchange, that's the basic exchange, time for money, but now we have a talent that the company wants to hire the best people. But what is the company offering in exchange for that talent? Oh, I give you training. Perfect. Oh, guess what? The company says, oh, I give you opportunity to grow. Okay. What is that person going to offer? I offer you commitment. So the level of exchange, and this is expanding capitalism from the financial level to multi-level exchange, and it's still capitalism, or it's still whatever we want to call it. But once we understand that our exchange here goes beyond just my time and your time, goes beyond a basic exchange, because we don't even talk about money here. We are talking about exchanging experience, exchanging stories, exchanging impact, taking the story further out. So that's a completely different exchange. And that was created by capitalism because I think we both think that each other, about each other, we can create value to our communities. And we get together to do that. So that's the amazing part of capitalism. It has allowed us to evolve the exchange level of value beyond the financial exchange for time, product, or service. Yeah, and it's basically, uh, it's perfectly in alignment with Work now, get paid later. But the great philosophy of Jim Rohn, where do more than what you're paid for, and soon you will be paid for more than what you do. And it's funny how that works out because, like you said, if you're waiting the whole time for you to make more money, it, oh, I'm only gonna I'm only gonna do more work if I get paid more money. No, it's actually the 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 converse of that, where um, if you start to do more work individuals will see your commitment you see your craft see your expertise and then the money rises up and then there's some type of boiling point where it over it it, it starts to go supersede it right and it goes above and beyond the actual effort that you're putting in and that's the magic of capitalism so oh so good i do want to get to how can an individual listening or watching right now become more conscious great well, great way of looking at this I think the first thing is the more we learn, we have the opportunity to expand consciousness. So if I learn something new, I have a new perspective. I have an expanded perspective. So this is the first thing. So what we're doing here is giving people the opportunity to become more conscious about learning and understanding different perspectives and listening to the, the ideas we have to share. So this is this is the first step. If you want to go dive deeper, well, there's a book we we had that's published by Harvard. It's Conscious Capitalism Field Guide. It's a big, heavy book because we actually give 
directions how to implement those four principles in your business. And this really allows you to dive in to executing this in your business, in your company. Other than that, we have a certification program for consultants. We have 1,200 consultants in 23 countries that have gone through this program and have been certified to help companies, organizations to upgrade their business. I like to upgrade. Very few people like to change. Go to an outline check. I like in. that phrase. Yeah. Let's upgrade your business. Yeah. Yes. Let's upgrade your business because if you go to check in and the lady or the guy, the person on the check in says, Oh, Mike, I haven't, I haven't used for you. Your flight changed. Say, I don't want to hear. But if they say, I have news for you, Mike, your flight has been upgraded. You first, you're going to laugh because that's, you know, it's not going to happen. But you're open to listen. Oh. Tell me what the upgrade is. The upgrade is you're going to sleep here in this hotel, have a nice meal and a breakfast, and then you fly tomorrow. What do you think about this? Maybe, well, I can take that. I like that upgrade. Maybe not. But I'm open to listen. The words we use directly affect the listeners. So we have to be careful because if you want your message to get there, pick the right words. It's your responsibility as the one communicating to make your message land. Oh, that is an amazing piece of advice, guys. Listen to what he just said. So when it comes to adjustments and pivots, how you say something is actually way more important than what you say, right? And it, it, it maybe there are problems that you have to address, but an upgrade, once again, you're more receptive. All you're trying to do is make an agreement between two parties, get to the same goal. And that can be done through language. Oh, I love that. Yes. So language. And this is conscious communication. You have to be aware of the level of consciousness of your audience. Who are you selling it to? Don't come with very difficult, complex corporate words. Go down to earth so that people understand your message. That will make a strong connection. That brings a tribe together. That allows us to celebrate results. Mm. Self-awareness, I think, is an absolute superpower. So if you know yourself, then you can, you can possibly know your customer way more. And so if you know what sets you off, you know, gets you excited, then that is what, that's the verbiage. That's the, that's yeah. the energy that you need to put out because if it excites you or if it pisses you off, you know what to do or what to avoid. And I guess that's, that's part of becoming more conscious and within your business, right? And becoming a more conscious leader. Exactly. Exactly. Because that, that will allow you to get your message through. As a leader, you want everyone in your organization and in your ecosystem, suppliers, customers, community, families, everyone to understand what you are all about. If they get it, they will come to promote you, to defend you, to elevate you. And what's funny about this is that you are a satellite. You usually attract more like-minded people. So these individuals who you attract are also satellites and they're examples, and they are going to attract a tribe eventually, most likely migrating towards your mission too. So yeah. once you treat your tribe well, they will treat their tribe well, and it becomes yeah. this massive army. Oh, it's a great way to look at it. So good. Here's the big thing. People might say, listen, oh, that's so nice. You guys are talking about something so cool. But at the end of the day, capitalism is about making money, right? Sure. So what, what we have 
shown in this book is we are following some companies that we understand they followed those principles for quite a while. And over the tenure of 20 years, we compared their financial performance with S&P 500. And imagine if your result 20 years from now could be seven times better than the average S&P 500, where would you be? <laughs> How much would you invest today to say, that's, that's what I want to be? Because these companies, what they do, they create value in uh, social and the social aspect and environmental aspect and emotional aspect and knowledge and all, all, all so many different dimensions. And when a crisis comes, people just retract. But when it's over, people will buy from you first when they can. Suppliers will come to you with the ideas first because you took care of them. Community will come in your defense if they have to come to defend somebody here. So this is the value creation of non-financial value creation converts into strong financial value after crisis because the crises are the moment of truth for those organizations. If you really care for your ecosystem, you will figure that out and you come out stronger because everybody will come out with you and not with your competition or with alternatives. So that's an invitation. If you think you want to make more money, this is a path to start today. Wow. And so whenever there's crisis around you, you actually go in when other people are going out. And yeah. you just gave me this picture of, do you remember in the movie Forrest Gump, when all the other boats are you know, out of commission and you have yeah. Forrest Gump out on his Jenny reaping all of the rewards? So whenever there's a storm, rather than contract, you actually uh, adopt the abundance mindset even more so, and you go yes. all in. Therefore, when the storm passes, people will see you as the solid force, and therefore they want to, they believe in you more. Exactly. That's that's such a great picture for for this, uh, you know, to to converge this conversation. Wow. Now you have 23 books. I want to talk about this because I just love talking <laughs> to serial authors. What has writing done for you? Uh, the reason why I ask that is because the more I write, the more clear-minded I become, which means I become more self-aware. And so writing is a way, it's it's almost like a personal development journey for me. And I, I take all of this um, skill set that I acquire from this this becoming self-aware self-aware, and then I apply it to business, which means personal development journey is uh, is actually embedded in my business journey. So uh, what has writing done for you? So writing came as a business strategy because we started, you know, for, at the beginning of the century, we had that mad cow disease going on in, in England. They killed all the cattle and people started wanting to know where is that food product coming from? So we created the food traceability company. And what the hell is a food traceability company? So everybody started asking, how do you sell that? Say, so, you know what? I'm going to put some structure on this. I'm going to write a book. It was 100 pages book, a small book. But it gave, gave us authority to talk about the subject when people wanted to know. And we were invited to a lot of conferences. Ultimately, what happened with that writing? People start, oh, tell me more. How do I get to, to operate on this? How do I make this happen? So... With that experience, I started writing more and more books. And then I started online dispute resolution uh, system, a platform that 
helped us uh, get companies out of the court system. Instead of going to court, you you resolve your problems in a different way, much more agile, much, much faster, much, much cheaper. Uh, and ultimately, I discovered that I was an unconscious, conscious capitalist, and I moved towards this and, and start preaching this philosophy to help companies be prepared for the business on the 21st century. Because all that stuff, what happened is that writing the books allowed me to structure my thinking and expand my learning and interact with people, getting some feedback and keep expanding it because people start asking tougher questions. Because of the toughest questions we evolved, we, we wrote four patents. We got 12 awards on innovation, sustainability, uh, business of the year, and all that stuff. Because people recognized us as a thought leader, a thought company. So we were at the edge of the innovation. So that was very powerful. And when you go back and see that all that what you were doing was part of a system, a framework, where people are the center of, of the business. If people are served, people are cared for, they will care for the result of your business. And you basically go beyond, far beyond the average market performance. Mm. And I'm assuming you came across the same uh, realization that the more you teach, you actually learn at a higher level too, which means everything that you learn, every event that you go to, every thing you find on the internet and, and, and you and you study within a great leader, it's your moral obligation to share with the others. So you yes. become more of a valuable asset in your community based off of you teaching and writing about it. Is that right? Completely agree. Because, you know, the, the teaching gives you the opportunity to be questioned from different perspectives. And that makes you think and develop the next content and the next information, the next strategy, it just keeps evolving, keeps evolving. And one of the things a lot of, and this is, this is again for the founders, don't be afraid people will copy you. If you're original, you are the source of your own creativity, of your own business. People who copy and follow you, they are waiting for your next step. They, have, they don't have the ability to move ahead. So if you think about the big companies, has anybody have had the ability to move ahead of Google, ahead of Amazon, ahead of Apple? Because they are the creators of whatever they are creating. If you have that inside you, inside your business. But on the other hand, if some companies, they fire their source of innovation, their source of creation, they go to a very rough time until they discover until they rediscover themselves. Mm. So that's an invitation to think. You are the source. Nobody will pass you because you are creating and people are following. This, the moment you stop creating or you don't create anymore, you're going to lag behind. Right. There's a great quote out there about motorcycles. Uh, you, don't, uh, you don't stop riding when you get old. You get old when you stop writing. And I look at that when it comes to teaching and writing books. It's the yeah. same way that the moment you stop serving or elevating your game, you start to die inside and people notice it and you start to lose that momentum. And you bring up a very good point. I want to make sure this, is, this gets in there. 
that the more you teach, the more you're questioned. And therefore you can formulate your answers more because your answers are based off of the quality of the questions. So you want to put yourself in certain environments to be asked many questions. This gives you an advantage because then you start to have an understanding of the world, economics, yourself, business more because you're out there as a thought leader. So boost your influence, boost your personal brand, get invited to opportunities and welcome adversity and questions because that will make you a better leader. Oh, oh. very good. Excellent. Keep writing basically, right? Write more books. Exactly. <laughs> keep writing. Keep keep putting your thoughts into books because that world needs information. That world needs development, knowledge. And the only way to move forward is actually to share that on books, on publications and on conversations and on talks, on conferences. That's the only way we move forward. If we had no conference, no books, we were standing still 200, 300 years ago. That's right. You be, you want to become a source, a hub of information, a wealth of knowledge, if you will. And those people who are a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of connections usually find themselves in the right room. So love talking to people like you, sir. And uh, guys, check out his book. It's called Conscious Capitalism Field Guide and uh, Tools for Transforming Your Organization. I believe you have a website that people can go to, right? There's there's yes. one that uh, you recommend. Therefore, they can get in touch with you or even check out these courses that you offer. Is that right? Yes. We, you can go to one thing that we believe is the conscious business journey. Consciousness for the business is a journey. You never get there. So cbjourney.com or ccfieldguide.com. Those are the two websites. You can go there and you know get in touch with us. And that's the, the path to upgrading leadership and your businesses. Yep. And guys, uh, the website again is cbjourney.com. You can find them on LinkedIn. And I think it's pretty easy to find you on LinkedIn. I know I found you there. So uh, yes. guys, look them up. Thomas Eckschmidt. Uh, I appreciate your time, man. This is awesome. I hope you come back whenever you put out another book. All right. I will. And you know, there's another one coming. So maybe we can talk about that and helping the companies to recover, to upgrade their purpose. Man, I'm going to use that now going forward, that upgrade trick, by the way, yes. man, what a, what a takeaway. Thank you so much. Remember guys, a million dollar book will lead to a million dollar life right on.